Hello, I'm Kate Chauvirich and welcome to the SEDEP podcast. Based in France and operating internationally, we are a global executive education club where minds meet, grow and succeed together. SEDEP is a collaborative learning community of leading international organizations from diverse and non-competitive industries. Rooted in the real world and driven by the real-life challenges of our community, we co-create leadership development programs with innovative, highly relevant and actionable learning. Our mission is to work together to develop leaders and create purpose-driven, agile and sustainable organizations. In an ever-changing and uncertain world, we choose to work together to make the world a better place for us all. This is the first episode in a series of six podcasts with Jules Goddard, SEDEP faculty, fellow of London Business School and author of recently published books on both philosophy and business experimentation. Jules has also recently been appointed to the Council of the Royal Institute of Philosophy. In this podcast series, we examine six different philosophical experiments with managerial practice and ultimately address the key question of why should we bring philosophical experimentation into the heart of business and what can we learn? In this episode, we will explore experimenting with the culture of an organization, starting with the difference between conversations and meetings. So, welcome to the Set Up Podcast, Jules. It's great to have you here. Tell us more about the nature of conversation and why we should experiment with how organizations run meetings. Thank you, Kate. And yes, let's get started. I'd like to begin with a short story and a key question for us to consider. Why is it that the cigarette smokers in a company are more likely to contribute a disproportionate number of creative and relevant ideas to the organization? What makes smokers different? What do they do that helps them come up with original ideas? Well, perhaps it's because they stand outside in the fresh air in ad hoc gatherings drawn from right across different parts of the organization sharing and discussing topical ideas in a highly spontaneous and informal manner. But what can we learn from this, Jules? Well, perhaps conversations between smokers have a dynamic that is lacking in most formal business meetings. After all, conversations only work if they don't have an objective. They go where they need to go. They have their own logic. There is no hierarchical structure no set agenda, no expectations of a particular outcome, no pressure to perform, no commitments to be made. Conversations possess their own dynamic. They have a spontaneity, an improvisational quality that is lacking, I think, in most meetings. After all, they're exploratory. People simply say what is on their mind. Topics which are considered undiscussable or off-limits or somehow taboo in an organizational setting now become discussable and get shared in a more relaxed, more open-minded setting. And as a result, people, I think, are more likely to come up with new thoughts, perhaps startling insights and breakthrough ideas. By sort of slowing down, people find themselves becoming more creative, more convivial and more collaborative. So often in the workplace, we act more like busy fools, I would suggest, than thoughtful humans. So are you saying that some corporate cultures are more like conversations than meetings? Yes, I think I am. After all, some firms certainly feel more like conversations, whilst others, I think, feel more like meetings. 
Deep down, of course, it's the difference between, on the one hand, business conceived as a creative problem-solving activity focused on meeting society's needs, and on the other hand, business as a a kind of formulaic target-hitting exercise focused on complying with bureaucratic requirements. It may be the difference between business performance considered as a return on invention and discovery as opposed to business performance as the routine application of standard practices. So how do we encourage people to be less formal in an organizational settings in order to boost creativity and collaboration? Well, that's, I think, an interesting question. Unfortunately, I think it's only when there's a crisis in an organization that the more creative behaviors naturally come to the fore, when there is a real problem to be solved, rather than simply an arbitrary target to be met. Do you have an example? Yes. For 15 years, I worked quite closely with Rolls-Royce. I'm reminded of the Rolls-Royce Qantas crisis in 2010. An engine explodes in flight, though without fatalities. Qantas is forced to ground its entire fleet until the problem is solved. So how does Rolls-Royce respond? Perhaps counterintuitively, it loosens up rather than tightening up. For example, its hierarchy and bureaucracy are, for as long as the problem lasts, ignored. The rule book is thrown away. Standard processes are ignored. Those who have the skills to solve the problem come together spontaneously and informally, and the culture becomes one of constructive conversation amongst equals rather than a rather sort of formal meeting of bosses and subordinates. In other words, adhocracy replaces autocracy with hugely beneficial consequences. The problem is solved. Qantas is back to normal. When it really matters, in other words, when lives are at stake, we return to our humanity. We don't wait for orders. We don't fill out forms. We don't tick all the boxes. We do simply whatever is necessary, I think, to solve the problem. This is obviously an extreme example. Outside of a crisis situation, what positive and proactive strategies are there to break down formalities in the workplace? What needs to change within an organisation? Well, I think what needs to change is perhaps simply getting the balance right between spontaneity and structure, or between informality and control. And of course, this is difficult. Working closely with many executives over many years, what I've come to recognize is that most large companies get the balance wrong. They tend to err on the side of caution. And particularly as they grow in size, they bring in more and more bureaucracy so as to feel more and more in control. But of course, this has a huge cost. It eats into the natural curiosity, creativity, and courage of those who work for the organization. They all too easily become the instruments of the organization rather than ingenious and resourceful human beings. And I would say that the best way of dismantling a culture of hierarchy and bureaucracy is to break the organization into small, self-managing, quasi-autonomous groups of about seven people. These groups then become the frontline teams serving their customers, whether these customers are internal or external. Seven, plus or minus two, is what George Miller, an American cognitive psychologist, famously described as the magic number. Almost automatically, conversations replace meetings, and slow creativity replaces frenetic compliance, and busy fools become human beings. Has any firm actually done this? 
Well, one that comes to mind is Svenska Handelsbanken. To a large extent, this is, I think, quite a good example. It has outperformed every other European bank since 1971. It has about 12,000 associates at the moment, but only three levels in its entire hierarchy. Each branch is run autonomously. Small, local teams make their own loan decisions, set their own pricing on loans and deposits, control their own marketing budget, and design and manage their own website. Another company is Hire, the Chinese white goods manufacturer, an even more dramatic example of what I mean. It's a patchwork quilt of small autonomous teams relating to each other as suppliers and customers. Contracts are not between bosses and subordinates, but between units in a value chain, stretching from external suppliers to ultimate customers. In other words, it's a horizontally organized company. And with every doubling of growth, it keeps the same number of management levels at about three, but simply doubles the number of working teams. And you're confident that this will bring out the best in people? Yes, I am. It's saying that most of us are at our best when addressing a challenge or solving a problem or putting our unique expertise to work. We're likely to be less committed and less focused, I think, when the task is simply making the numbers or achieving objectives set by others for us to deliver. And I think we're at our least creative when obeying instructions, complying with authority, not trusted to exercise our own discretion. So often, the workplace is ruled by the values of predictability and conformity, as though work is a penance rather than a pleasure. Work is a strange, sometimes unnatural phenomenon, isn't it? (laughs) Indeed it is. It's worth reflecting. All work, the work week and the workplace, are human inventions. They're not part of nature. They're not, so to speak, ordained by God. We don't have to work from Mondays to Fridays in office settings, in structured organizations. We don't have to have salaried jobs or paid employment. These are our inventions, and we've chosen to work like this. We could equally as well choose to work in entirely different ways. The truth is, I think, that we're a bit stuck. Perhaps companies are too wrapped up in their own conventions and routines to get out of the box, to see things differently, and perhaps to try out alternative methods. So what might be the alternatives? Well, I think the pandemic has shown us that working from home, for example, can make sense. Zoom has demonstrated that virtual meetings can work perfectly well. And we're seeing more clearly what the role of the office should be. We've come to see the value of physical interaction rather differently. In other words, we've learned a lot from lockdown. We were forced to experiment and we're still learning what worked and what didn't work. But the biggest thing it taught us, I think, was that there are alternatives to the conventional workplace and we should be testing lots of different ways of working. I think the moral is we can reinvent the workplace. At Setup, we sometimes talk about humanizing the workplace, don't we? Yes, we do. I think it's a particular feature of Setup, and it's important that we keep doing so. So often, employees are treated as human resources rather than resourceful humans in the business world. They're treated as factors of production, rather like plant and equipment. So what can we conclude from this episode? What particular philosophical ideas should we be taking away from our conversation? Well, let me turn to Karl Popper, perhaps the greatest of all philosophers of science. He argued that all life is problem-solving. 
This is also one of the most important insights of evolutionary theory. Life continuously throws up challenges to which we must adapt, and we're at our best and our most human when solving problems. A workplace draws upon our capabilities best when it models performance as answering questions well and meeting challenges creatively, rather than simply following rules or obeying instructions or sticking to what has worked in the past. I think our evolutionary design is built upon the ability to adapt to change, to meet the unexpected with originality, and to learn from our mistakes. Very insightful, Jules. Thank you so much. This is the end of today's episode, and we look forward to next time where we will be discussing ways of experimenting with planning. Jules is the co-director of SEDEP's Management and Philosophy Programme, which explores philosophical experimentations in managerial practice and how to use philosophical analysis to push the limits of contemporary management. You can find more information about this programme on the SEDEP website, www.sedep.fr. And if you'd like to read more about the themes raised in this podcast, Jules has recently launched a new book called Business Experimentation, a practical guide for driving innovation and performance in your business, which is available online and in all good bookstores. Thanks again, Jules, and until next time.